Happy Monday, and welcome to another episode of the Sneak Preview. I'm Connor Izagari. I'm Caleb Boucher. And today we've got three intriguing horror films to discuss Paranormal Activity Next to Kin, Antlers, and our main event, Last Night in Soho. If you're here for Army of Thieves, you'll be disappointed. We are done with Zack Snyder for as long as we can be done with Zack Snyder. Until you, you have to possibly talk about the movie announcement on him. I week. I would love if from here on out, we just actively avoid anything he has going on. I'm, I'm that done with this guy. So you're not going to watch the now titled Planet of the Dead is what you're telling me? No, I don't care. I, don't, I didn't even hear about that. I do not care. <laughs> I'm tired of watching slow motion bullshit. I forget. You know, I don't even, I'm not going to give him the satisfaction of a rant. The sequel to Army of the Dead is titled Planet of the Dead. Cool. Is it also like two and a half hours long, super contrived and devoid of any point? The first part has been confirmed, but I can almost guarantee the next two. Yeah. Well, you know what? Next year, when Netflix throws him yet another bone, we will watch something else. (laughs) I will find something, anything, some Norwegian shit no one's ever heard of. They got like a minuscule release in some village. We will find that and watch that instead. Anything else. I don't care. I'm done. I watch a marathon of A24 non-horror movies over this shit. I'm so tired. (laughs) There's the rant I wasn't going to give him. God damn it. (laughs) That's what I'm here for. So, no Army of Thieves. I don't care if it's good. I will never find out. Uh, Before we get into all this, (laughs) too late, let's see what happened last week in film. Last week in film. Uh, first up, trailers. Uh, five trailers to discuss today. Uh, of course, Caleb, you are in the midst of a significant move. So obviously, I don't expect you to have seen everything. And obviously, because of that, internet may be a bit spotty. So if you can't really hear Caleb that much. Well, I hope this isn't your first episode. Don't judge the podcast by this one. Yeah. Let's put it this way. Usually we banter well before we start the episode. And uh, because of the move in this, we kind of just jumped right into it. Yeah. I'm still wearing half my Halloween costume. Uh, I decided this year, to we're recording this on Halloween. I dressed up as iconic professional wrestler, macho man, Randy Savage. I had a great night. I've been moving, so for anyone who keeps texting me, all the family and friends are texting me, who's your Halloween? I've been moving. Leave me alone. Stop asking me. I'm rocking a t-shirt that says cream of the crop. And I just, yeah, it was a fun night getting to to be Macho Man for a while. Anyway, (laughs) trailers. Um, First up, we got the second trailer for House of Gucci. Ridley Scott's second effort for this year comes out November 24th. I am 100% on board with this. This looks fantastic. And the second trailer just made me even more excited about this. I did not watch this trailer. Actually, not because of the move, but like I got on YouTube and the first video I hit for it, which was uploaded by the movie company that's making this, Warner Brothers, I believe. No, I don't know. Right? Uh, I don't know. I don't know. But the movie, whatever movie was doing it, and like the sound was bad. Like they messed up the upload on the sound. So I said, eh, fuck it. I've seen the first trailer. I'm good. That but, sucks. 
Yeah, it it still stands that um I want to see this because I like Ridley Scott and this actually looks pretty good to me. This made me think that uh, Lady Gaga has a legitimate chance at taking home Best Actress for this. I think she's going to be lights out great. And the rest of the cast, I think, is going to be fantastic as well. This is going to be fun. She didn't get uh, nominated for A Star is Born. I thought she did. She did, but I'm thinking a win for this. Oh, okay. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. But we'll see. I mean, you know, I thought Jennifer Hudson killed it in respect. And, you know, Jodie Comer in The Last Duel. There's, there's a lot of competition this year. I think there's a lot of cool stuff. And I know you don't care, but we have a whole podcast dedicated to this shit. So I I have to care. I, I get to care. I'll say that. So, podcast, you do care. I do care. I would care if we didn't have a podcast. I was about to say, don't you, you can't say this to me. I've known you too long. You do care. I care a lot. I've never not, I've never been like, I've always cared. I'm very vocal about that. But I like that because of the podcast, I have my more focused on what's coming out. So I kind of get to see, you know, the Oscar bait movies before they're labeled Oscar bait. And I get to judge for myself what I think is going to be a contender, which is fun. How's it going? Next, uh, the trailer for a movie I know you're looking forward to Black Friday, a horror comedy starring Bruce Campbell, Michael Jai White, and Devin Sawa comes out November 19th. You get a chance to check this trailer out? Yes, I did. I've been hearing about this on Blade Disgusting for a while. I am so pumped for this movie. Bruce Campbell, Devin Sawa, continuing his resurgence and horror, which I'm loving. And Michael J. White, like, oh my God, yes, I'm I'm in on this movie. And it's on Black making fun of all like or having fun with the Black Friday of all days. Like I think after the what we've gone through in the pandemic, like yes, bring it on. I love the idea of just, you know, a zombie parasite gets into the Black Friday horde and suddenly the horde of shoppers becomes a horde of zombies. That's perfect. I was nobody ever done this before. Yeah, I don't. They haven't done it before. And thankfully, when they have done it, we got like three pretty awesome actors in it. So I am all in. Also, it's nice to see that Ash was able to finally work his way up to manager at (laughs) S-Mart. Ash was able to work his way up to manager and apparently... Uh, Devin Saba is done with Chucky and now dealing with zombies. This this is gonna be so much fun. I'm 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 very much looking forward to this. I'll watch anything Bruce Campbell's a part of. I love that guy. Uh, but this just looks so much fun. Yeah, it looks really fun. I'm 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 very pumped for this one. Next up, The Devil's Light, a demonic possession flick starring Jacqueline Byers, Virginia Madsen, and Colin Salmon, comes out February 25th. Uh, I saw the trailer for this today when I went to see Antlers, and uh, I can't find it online. So I think it was a trailer exclu- uh, or a theater exclusive, at least for now. Uh, it was a trailer exclusive trailer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you can only see this trailer if you see this trailer. Uh, only if you're a baby wrangler. Do you see this? God damn it. <laughs> uh, did you happen to see the Devil's Light trailer when you saw Antlers? Yeah. Yeah, they showed it. At first, it, it looked good to me, and in the moment, it kept going. I was like, oh, another exorcism film that I've gotten like 5,000 times. So, I don't know. I'm not as excited, like, just because I've seen this so many times. Fair enough. I remember when this was announced a while back. This got pushed significantly because of the pandemic. This When we were putting together the um, sneak preview pilot back last year, I remember Devil's Light was one of our early episodes, and then nothing materialized. So we pushed it. And I'm, so I'm a little excited at, just to like for some unfinished business. 
But I do agree with you. It does look like every other demonic possession movie. It's really hard to be original in that genre. You know, The Exorcist kind of did it all. What really can be done at this point? Um, and I know like earlier this year, you saw The Unholy, which you fucking hated. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, did. I didn't get to see that one. So it might not be as fresh for, for me as it is for you. <laughs> But there were some moments in this. Like, this looked like it had a creepy atmosphere. The visuals looked intriguing. So I'm, I'm, I'm going to give it a shot. Every time they do these trailers, the visuals look creepy. The atmosphere is the same. It... It's so weird that I'm defending a, a horror movie that's on its way, and you are condemning it. This is weird. <laughs> I guess we'll see in February. Yeah, yeah, because you know what? I know I'm on, I know how this sounds saying how excited I am for Scream, but goddamn, the new Scream actually looked like a lot of fun. Yeah, I saw that trailer too today. I something about Ghostface this time is really freaking me out. I think it's just how tall this guy is. It's okay, it, a guy for him. It's incredibly intimidating. Like, yeah, I believe this guy could terrorize anyone. Uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to Scream big time. Oh yeah, and that whole line. So- Oh, Sydney, it's an honor. Like, oh my God. the delivery of that line is like, oh my God. Ah. Um, yeah, next, I think, I don't know about you, but I think this year has not been a great year for horror, at least what I've seen. Uh, so I'm hoping next year gives me some more surprises. Financially, for the movie studios, it's been great and definitely like makes me happy with the pandemic, but. Uh, I would say creatively, like there's been a lot of mainstream, a lot of big budget stuff having been added too. But I mean, like like we, like I've said before, if you look on places like Shutter, some of the indie stuff, yeah. they've been crushing it. Um, home video release has been crushing. Actually, this is a major home video thing off Orbit DVD. So it, it's been crushing in other areas, just not mainstream Hollywood big releases, I think. Yeah. And again, you know, I'm not looking in the same places that you are. So. Maybe I don't really. Maybe I just need to widen my area of focus when it comes to horror. Um, could say you should. Yeah. Next up, The Unforgivable, a drama starring Sandra Bullock, Viola Davis, and Vincent D'Onofrio, hits Netflix on November twentieth, and we've we've been pretty, you know, uh, what's the term? Harsh on Netflix this year. Uh, their output has been more missed than hit, and a lot of just green lighting anything that goes and uh i don't know maybe it's just i think this looks worth checking out but you know i could be wrong it's so weird to me because it seems like all of a sudden netflix is pulling out all the star studded like really big heavy hitters it's like there's all this crap we're giving you now we're ready for oscar season so let's give you all the stuff we've been holding on to i did you happen to check out the guilty i forget if you were able to do that i don't have a chance to watch it that was a Netflix movie that surprised me. That one was actually worth it, I think. Uh, and, you know, they haven't all sucked. Most of them have this year, but not all of them. Uh, yeah, I'm going to see The Unforgivable. I'm going to watch this. Yeah, it, it's 50-50. Um, there's one movie in particular that they they, they picked up that we'll, I'll probably bring up a little bit more with Pernod TV that I'm, I'm still worried about. Yeah, we'll get to that. Um, finally... I'm very interested to hear what, you, what uh, your thoughts are on this. The teaser for Pixar's upcoming Toy Story spinoff, Lightyear. 
starring Chris Evans as everyone's favorite Space Ranger, Buzz Lightyear. I don't think I've ever given two shits less for like a Pixar movie than when I heard that this was happening. <laughs> and then when I saw that trailer, I was just like, I don't need this. Like, I'm probably one of the few people that like I liked Toy Story 4, but it still felt so unnecessary to me. Like, I was fine with one through three. I was okay. Perfect trilogy. It ended just right. But nope, they want to keep it going. And the thing is, too, hopefully someone on this podcast has that listens to our show can agree with me. Hopefully, the small audience that we have. There was a show called Buzz, like Buzz Lightyear show that they did that gave me exactly what I wanted which was the story that they fucking talked about ad nauseum in like the first three fucking movies. I don't need a prequel based on supposedly the real guy in an animated movie that inspired the story. I don't want, God damn it, Pixar. And I know it's going to make money because it's fucking lighter. I was not expecting that. Okay. Um, Doesn't yeah. make sense, don't you? I, I get where you're coming from. Uh. I think this is kind of neat. I, and you know I'm a huge Toy Story fan. You, we did a whole fucking Oscar Sunday about how much we love Toy Story. Lightyear? <laughs> it's, I'm intrigued. Like, what is, you know, it's, he's, I want to see Buzz be a space ranger. I'm, I'm excited. And I did watch Buzz Lightyear of Star Command when I was a kid. I did watch that show. And I liked it. And now we're getting a movie. That's basically that. And I'm, I'm on board. I, I'm, I'm curious. And Pixar... Their track record fucking rocks. Let's be honest here. They've only done like two or three bad movies. So I, I trust them. Yeah. <laughs> I, it's just this is not the spinoff prequel that we need. I know. I just let Toy Story die. Just let it let it rest. I'm still bitter about Incredibles too, honestly. Like I don't know how they, whatever. Uh, light year. We'll see it in June. All right. So that's all for trailers. Uh, I, I'm in, I'm in, I'm, I'm excited to do light year next year simply because I want to see your reaction to it. What if uh, I'm just like more angry next year? It's just, you probably will be. Uh, on to casting. A lot of cool casting news this week. First off, Brendan Fraser has been cast as the villain in the upcoming Batgirl movie for HBO Max. He is allegedly, but pretty solidly, playing classic Batman villain Firefly, uh, who's a arsonist with wings. Uh, sweet. I'm happy for any success on Brendan Fraser's part, and this is this going to be cool. Yeah, I've talked about what you've talked about with Josh and I think to an extent we talked about on the show with Austin. I'm I'm a I'm all in on the Brendan Fraser Renaissance, the resurgence of the Fraser. Um the Fraser Sons. Fraser Sons. I am all in. Um clearly the, the Brenda Sons. I like that one. That's there a good go. one. Um apparently DC's all in too because this is a DC film, and he's been a, he's a fan favorite in Doom Patrol. Like he is like the most successful one out, out of that like 
cast cool cast of characters people have latched on to him and it's funny when i saw that news i actually just watched the new episode from this past week and there was a, a scene i mean he gave a whole performance it was like i won't get into details because you want to watch the show but you actually saw him in person in this episode oh. cool which if anyone doesn't doesn't know that's a big deal because he plays a person with his brains in a robot so you always hear the voice but don't see him but uh, he he gave a really like moment in just performance where I was like, oh, like it took me. I was like, man, I felt it. <laughs> so like he must have a great relationship with them. He's fucking fantastic in Doom Patrol. I couldn't be more happy to see him in this. Yeah, straight up, Doom Patrol's on my list. I'm currently making my way through Harley Quinn. I just finished. I recently finished the first season. I'm about halfway through season two, and uh, I am fucking loving it. It's fantastic. I thought, I, I thought season two was actually an improvement on one. I really enjoyed season two. A certain kiss just happened. So, oh, yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> I knew that yeah, was coming. Yeah. I know their, their oh, histories. Yeah. I was like, yeah, this is going to happen. Yeah, it's, it, it builds up. And uh, apparently in season three, uh, all I'll say is this that they've apparently hired more LGBTQ writers to make sure it's an authentic relationship. Well, that's, that's good. Mm representation is always good yeah uh so good luck brendan glad you're back in the spotlight uh this one was weird bill murray has joined the cast of ant-man and the wasp quantumania in a super secretive role uh probably i don't know if he's going to be like he's probably not playing like the bad guy or like a significant probably a cameo i was like i guarantee it's probably a cameo which i mean hey bill murray and the cameo of Mulder, i'm down yeah why not <laughs> Uh, like this so let's see what Marvel can do. Yeah, exactly. The cast for Hocus Pocus 2 was announced. Bette Midler, Kathy Jimmy, and Sarah Jessica Parker are all returning as the Sanderson sisters. And Doug Jones is returning as the helpful zombie Billy Butcherson. Uh, standout newcomers include Sam Richardson and Tony Hale, but it's mostly unknowns. Release date is likely October 2022 on Disney+. Plus. Mixed feelings. Hocus Pocus is a lifelong favorite of mine. Don't necessarily think we need a, a sequel, but I am curious. I'm very, uh, I'm hesitant. I'm probably not as like, for some reason, not like I am with Lightyear. I'm, I'm more hesitant because I know it's been like, this has been chesting for so long about trying to get a sequel off the ground. Um, and, you know, this is feeling like it could go one or two ways. It could be like the worst thing ever. That, or it could be something that is really good and also serves as a, something for a different generation of people that grew, you know, that grew up with that hocus pocus, as opposed to the one that we grew up with, and that's fine. Um, so it could go either way. Um, I'm glad to see the three ladies back, and even Doug Jones like that. That's awesome. I love Sam Richardson. That dude is one of the funniest comedians working today. So, yeah. Um. I do think getting the, you know, the three witches back is a win. I know they've all been kind of wanting to do this for a while. Um, I'm hoping somebody in the original cast has like a brief cameo or like something. I want to see, uh, what's it? Jay and ice Hollywood. I want to see those guys again. <laughs> um, this was epic. Uh, I really hope this is true. I've, I I checked this as good as I could, and I'm, it is looking like this is accurate. 
Uh, Reese Iffins and Thomas Hayden Church are confirmed to be reprising their respective roles in the upcoming Spider-Man No Way Home. Iffins played the Lizard in 2012's The Amazing Spider-Man, and Church played Sandman in 2007's Spider-Man 3. IMDb has them listed as in the cast. And this is uh, a bunch of different news sites announced this. So I'm going with this is true. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like it's true, but it's, I, and I'm excited, but it still stands that like, I really wish I wasn't hearing so much about this goddamn movie because I want to be like as clean as possible on what's going to be apparently a very epic Spider Man movie. But, yeah, I get that. But they have to build the anticipation. And the best way to do that is to, you, have, you know, announce bit by bit who's going to be in this. Or you don't have to go anticipation because there's two hugely successful Spider-Man films within the MCU, which is an overall long-running successful franchise, has a fan base, still makes millions, like a Shang-Chi su- success. So you don't really need to build that much up. I agree with you. But a movie needs to, like, they need to market this thing or else Disney's going to be like, you know, this might not make money. That's how they think. You know, you have to market this. You need toys. You need anticipation. You need trailers. It literally comes out the weekend that everyone's off for Christmas break. (laughs) I know. And I I also don't want to know too much. But I understand why why they're doing it. Yeah, I mean, look, I, I, I know. I see what you're saying. It's, it's kind of frustrating. I think also I'm still having some, like, feelings about the fact that Nightmare Alley is coming out that fucking weekend, and they have yet to move it. And I'm like, just fucking move it up a week. Yeah, really stupid. I think they're going to push Spider-Man. I think that's going to happen. I don't Honestly, I don't see how this thing is done by December. And I don't know. I think we'll it's see. been done. You said, you, say, you said that about Shang-Chi, and that came out on time. True. True. You actually said that about every Marvel film this year. So far, and they are the ones this year are coming out on time. It's the ones next year that got moved. Fine. Fine. <laughs> we'll see. I don't know what's happening. This could all be, you know, Feige fucking with us. I don't know. What if it's, it's the most pedestrian Spider Man ever? Like, <laughs> well, he came out and said, like, fans manage your expectations, which is like, oh boy. Because if, you know, if if Maguire and Garfield aren't in this thing, fan, some fans are going to lose their fucking minds. I might, I might be one of those fans. I really want to see Maguire in the suit again. At this point, everything they've been saying, everything that's been done, like, it would be weird if they're not in this. <laughs> so, we'll see. I'm hopeful. I know I've yet to be... Honestly, the entirety of the MCU, I've yet to really been, like, disappointed or upset to a big degree even their like worst movie still watchable so i just i'm giving them complete faith i'm even you know eternals i'm on board until i see the movie oh yeah i mean i know like i've been seeing some of the early reviews i'm on board but i'm one of those like i can look at reviews and then go in with my own like the my own like checked expectations like okay like i see what they're saying but like let's see what it does for me yeah Exactly. It's just a basis for me. It, it has no bearing on what I'm thinking when I go in to see the movie. It's a big part of uh, an upcoming show we're working on. You know, reviews don't necessarily equate to quality. Yeah, at the end of the day, this is all subjective. This is just 
some jackasses opinions or as our youtube comment says old farts talking about the movie <laughs> uh it was just farts it was an old fart we were just farts oh sorry farts <laughs> that was hilarious um I did hear that Eternals is getting review bombed by people who are pissed that there's LGBTQ representation in it, which happens regrettably. I, yeah, I want to be surprised, honestly. Like I know I've kind of said what I've said and probably whenever I put a certain movie that I've pitched about a lot for me at Christmas for our new show. Oh yes. (laughs) Yeah. You know, like, look, I'm, I'm like this, man. Like, I ultimately don't care. You want your movie to have representation? By all means, yes, because we don't live in the world that Hollywood thought we lived in for so fucking long, apparently. Like, so yeah, I have no issue with that. I have no issue with them tackling very, so like, current political, like, current themes. Just don't, like, like I say, what, I'll just say it, like I said, Black Christmas 2019, don't yell at me. Don't make me feel bad for literally just being born. Like, I had any say in me being a white male. There's no way Marvel's going to do that. There's no way they would ever do that. They just have, you know, some gay characters. That's literally it. Like, just all I've ever cared about my entire life is the quality of the movie. I don't care who's in the movie. I don't care what's in the movie. I don't care what your agenda is. I don't care what your race, color, creed, sexual orientation. I don't care. I just want the movie to be good. Literally in every genre, every film I've ever watched. That's that's all I care about. It's like it's like, and I don't get people that like like for example, right? Like because we talked about a couple of weeks ago with you know Skyfall, right? And that whole that line dialogue that I put on my list of like you know, what who says this is my first time? Like how many fans fucking melted down because oh god, James Bond may have fucked some dudes. Like who gives a shit? Who cares? It you have, like- yeah, if you've ever watched a James Bond movie, you know that guy will fuck anything that moves. Yeah, yeah. I'm like who like. Does it take away his his cred, his badassery? I don't think so, because he can still kill you if he wanted to. Like, yeah. Who gives I, a fuck? I don't care. I honestly, I, I would love the next James Bond is like fully openly gay and just banging dudes across the world, saving it as he does so. I would love if that happened. That'd be so hilarious. Bond girls, we have Bond boys now. Yeah, or just Bond guys, you know, hooking up with, you know, what if like during the fight with like the henchman that's like slightly disfigured for some reason, like they just start making out, and now he's like conv- he help- convinces him to help him fight the bad guy. I don't know why, but I'm thinking of the fight scene in Twenty One Jump Street at the end with Jonah Hill when he's fighting that chick and she keeps like trying to make out with him. He's like, "Oh my god, what are you doing?" Oh yeah, <laughs> I'm just so confused right now. It's been a minute since I saw Twenty One Jump Street. That's, that's such a funny movie. Um. I don't know why, but my favorite thing about that movie is that Channing Tatum was able to learn chemistry. <laughs> At the end, when he's like discussing it, like it's like a it's like a brotherhood, it's like a bond. Like that, that makes me laugh so hard. Oh, anyway, it doesn't matter. You know, representation is important to people who don't have it. So yeah. let them have it. It doesn't. It's no you know it's no skin off your ass. Just shut the fuck up and enjoy the Marvel movie. If you're review review bombing a Marvel movie because of that, you're you're the dick, you're the jackass, like you're the pathetic loser in my opinion. Not the fucking Marvel movie that dares to have representation. Anybody who gives a scathing review to a movie you haven't even seen yet is a piece of shit. 
That's just that's, that's a fact. Or a glowing review. You're a piece of shit too. You're you're an ass kisser. Watch the movie, then make your decision. Yeah. Look, guys, this is it. It's 2021. Guess what? We live in a world. People are different colors. People have different sexual orientations. We have different gender identifications now. Yeah. That's the world we live in. Get over it. Who gives a shit? Yeah. Uh, here's something I do give a shit about. Lee Winnell has left the director's chair of the upcoming Wolfman reboot. Uh, frequent Ryan Gosling collaborator Derek Cyan France. I don't know how to say his name. I, has replaced I, him. I was actually going to hope. I hope you knew how to say it because I was like, I don't know how to say this fucking last name when I heard the news. <laughs> I'm going to go with Key and Cyan Derek. I'm going to go with Derek. See, look, see, look, now it's flipped. I'm always the one fucking up names. Fuck you guys. Now the, the shoe, it has flipped. Well, I am, you know, I had such, I had so little time to put this together. I, it's a miracle we even have a script. <laughs> so, Derek, I didn't look up any pronunciation. Look, I, I understand. If, if anyone wants to know what I just did, I literally just got up from seeing last night in Soho. So, we, we had to, we had to make this episode around Caleb's move. Halloween and three big releases, two of which were theater exclusives. So you're welcome. <laughs> guess what? Tomorrow's episode, I'm doing it around my the fucking movers coming in with my uh stuff tomorrow. So it's gonna be great. It's gonna be another fun day for me. Uh so yeah, Derek is replacing Lee Winnell. Uh Gosling and Derek previously worked together on Blue Valentine and the Place Beyond the Pines. So expect a dramatic thinky werewolf movie as opposed to lee winnell's uh action-packed horror extravaganza it was going to be i can't seem to find why lee winnell left the wolf uh, man from what i understand it was scheduling conflicts he sounds like he may have had an air project lined up and he went to go take care of that that's um nice. yeah i'm not going to, i'm not going to count this out just yet um because don't get me wrong i really did like that of lee winnell being the one to come in and do a Wolfman movie. But I think if Blumhouse plays their cards right with this, and I'm sure they will, and they picked a director that has worked with Gosling before, which I think was a, an important thing to do. If you were going to do this, get someone that Gosling has worked with before. So there's a familiarity with this director and our main star. Yes. This allows to me each film that they're doing, because ideally, from what I understand, they're trying to do every single damn universal monster it gives each film its own unique voice which i think will be a key ingredient to keeping this current iteration of the franchise afloat each director has kind of like their own voice with the movie that they want to make so yeah i am like on one hand i am sad to see they now leave the project but this is an opportunity for us to maybe get like a unique voice and he might be on the same page what lee Winnell was actually going to do with the movie that's true. And, you know, I I just thought the worst when Lee Winnell left. I'm like, oh, shit, the Universal pissed him off or something. But no, he's scheduling conflicts and Gosling picked Derek himself, I believe, because they've worked together so good in the past. I've, I've seen Blue Valentine's a great movie. I've not yet seen The Place Beyond the Pines. Uh, but Place Beyond the Pines is really good. I've seen that one. I've heard great things. Austin's sung its praises to me many times as well. Uh, I got to get on that. But uh yeah, I think, you know, I just want the Wolfman movie. I mean, this was announced like a year ago and there's been like no development on it at all. 
Yeah, well, I mean, you got announced in the pandemic happened. I mean, because think about when Invisible Man came out. Remember when Invisible Man came out? It was like a month before everything started shutting down. Yeah, that's right. So I'm sure that kind of stalled them. I mean, we're, we just don't get Halloween kills after a year long delay. Like, I'm sure they were, I'm sure it's, it's happening. It just it took longer because of all that went down. In my mind, I'm already, like, movie-wise, like, back to normal in my head when it comes to the movies. I forgot for a second there that we had a year where movies just disappeared. So thank you for bringing me back down to the ground. I appreciate that. You're welcome. <laughs> it's your, look, we're getting two types of phones right now. What they were done with and they could finally release. And then but we got to wait a bit longer on because they were mid-development and then everything shut down. Is the Batman the last like delayed movie that we're going to like that that we'll get i want to say yes i want to say they like they fucking stockpiled for this year i want to say the batman is the last one even then that's supposed to be this year but yeah. i was thinking about covid i think someone else got covid which got a smart slot yeah I just i just read a uh, jason momoa has got covid now oh shit i don't have to delay uh aquaman too now probably not the whole production but they have shut down for a couple weeks uh well, he quarantines. I was like, that's actually currently scheduled to come out on my birthday. And I actually liked the first Aquaman, so I thought, ooh. Yeah, I, I, I too thought ooh. Uh, I hope he's okay. He's probably all right. He's Jason. I'm sure, I, he's like the rock. That guy's built like a god. He's fine. The only thing I'm worried about is I hope he doesn't lose too much muscle tone. because of I hope he, he can grow his beard back. That's what I hope. <laughs> um. Finally, and this should come as no surprise, Warner Brothers has officially greenlit a sequel to Dune, set for 2023. Dune is doing really well, and Warner Brothers is like, you got your sequel, Denny. So, you know, do a a good job. You didn't uh, didn't care for Dune, did you? No, and I want to put it on record. Oh, my God. Listen to the episode. All right. I understand it came off as me just hating this guy and hating the movie. Good old, I'll say it right this time, Denis Villeneuve. Let me know, prior to Dune, I actually really liked damn near everything of his I watched. I love Prisoners, love Sicario. I liked Arrival, man, love it, but I did like it. Um, really liked Blade Runner 2049. I thought the guy was crushing it. For me, personally, and this is coming from someone who hasn't read the book, so I don't know if that may have affected it in some way. Um, I thought visually... He knocked it out of the park. It was a visually impressive film. Not the most visually impressive film, but visually impressive. I just thought the story and the characters is what felt so hollow and cold to me, and it was hard for me to get into that. So that's why it didn't land for me. Um, I'm happy that those who liked it, it seems like a lot of people liked it, are getting their sequel, and they're not going to get left hanging because it just kind of ends. Um I still think it's kind of dumb that Warner Brothers didn't in any way, shape, or form tell them to go ahead and start some kind of pre-pro and that people have to wait now two fucking years for part two. Okay. I haven't read the book either. And I did like it. Um, And two years, I'm fine with that. Honestly, I, I liked it. I'm not like you know, I'm not going to go through withdrawal. I don't need another Dune right now. Uh, two years, I think, will be good enough for me to kind of, you know, well, read the book. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, yeah, you didn't like it. Okay. I don't care. 
Something to let it known. I know it came off like I just really hate. I mean, I really do hate Villeneuve. I fucking despise that human being. But it had yeah. nothing to do with my like, my dislike of uh, his Dune. I just, I just didn't fall in love with it. Fair enough. <laughs> uh, so that is all that happened last week in film. Before we get into last night in Soho, let's talk a bit about the other releases. But before we do that. I do want to bring up a film I was able to see that we had missed in the past few weeks, The Last Duel. Uh, I was able to go see this last weekend. Uh, I mean, last week. And uh, it's a it's an upsetting movie. It's very good. Uh, Ridley Scott outdoes himself. The battle scenes are extraordinary. The performances are fantastic. The subject matter is depressing as fuck. But, you know, I knew that going in. Uh, it's very long. Does not need to be two and a half hours uh, and since I was kind of tired that day, I did nod off a couple times, which sucks, but I was back within a couple seconds. Uh, I gave the film an eight. It's a good movie. I think I probably could have waited for streaming. Uh, not really a theater movie. Uh, but I want to well, give, hmm? I was going to say not an October release. That part was weird to me. Well, this is, you know, trying to get into award season. I get that. Uh, but yeah, October was a weird time for it. It got overshadowed by Halloween and everything else. <laughs> it made like no money. Yeah, it, weird release. Apparently they learned their lesson with House of Gucci because that's I think next month. Yep. I guess November, by the time, time this episode comes out. Uh, but Matt Damon was fantastic. Adam Driver was fantastic. Jodie Comer was great. Ben Affleck really surprised me. He was good. And uh, once again, you know, it takes place in France, but everybody has a British accent and everyone's American, which is even weirder. <laughs> so it's like when you play an Assassin's Creed game and they definitely don't have the accent of the country it takes place in, like almost ever. Yes. Yes. But like I said, eight, it's a good movie. Uh, yeah. Very much a movie about, you know, the dangers of pride and how, you know, women were have never been trusted to defend themselves in any capacity throughout most of mankind's history. It's really fucked up. Uh, but definitely once it's on, you know, streaming or DVD or whatever, check it out, but you don't need to go see it. Okay. No, I mean, I'll check it out. I've been hearing good things. I like Ridley Scott. So yeah. Same. Okay. Just want to get that out of the way. I would have, you know, would have felt incomplete if I didn't mention that. Uh, Antlers. So, this is a movie that got pushed. This was supposed to come out last fall. Uh, got pushed to this fall. Actually, got pushed a few times. This one had a bit of a, you know, bit of trouble getting to the theater. Yeah, it did. Uh, and it wasn't terrible. I just, I thought it was going to be so much more. Uh, why don't you go ahead? Because I know you you enjoyed this. I was going to say, he's going to go first. The one that liked it, the one that didn't. All right, the one that did. I was anticipating this film highly, like last year when it was supposed to come out. I remember being so, so excited for it. And then it kept getting delayed. And at one point, I started wondering, is it even coming out? Because I wasn't seeing advertising for it. I didn't hear about its new release date. And then I think we looked it up and I was like, oh, thank God. And I remember seeing the trailer pop out for some movie I went to go see. And I got so excited. And sitting in the theater, I was like, oh, gosh, I don't Chandler's. And I got, I, overall, I really liked it. Um, I did find, I know a lot of people bitched about the uh, 
the obligatory exposition scene with the Native American uh, ex-sheriff. I can see where that's a little problematic. I get what people are coming from on that one. Not, I, I mainly, I don't see it not from what they're saying, but just from the fact that so many horror films do that, where they just get someone to just exposition dump. Usually, usually a well-known actor. Well, um, in this case, it was too. That you know, Graham Greene. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, he was. Yeah, so it's like I see what they're saying, but I'm like, you guys actually need to watch, like, see how many horror films fucking do this ad nauseum. Um, at least in this one, they actually got a fucking Native American instead of some random white dude. Um. But besides that, I think what I liked about it so much was it was a creature feature that had a little bit more to say. I liked how it dealt with themes of abuse and trauma mixed with the uh, the, the Wendigo legend. And then on that front, oh my god, the creature design was so awesome to me. I fucking loved it, especially the part when it like, rips out of his body. Oh, and the gore in that movie, oh my god. If you love gore, this film delivers. All fair points. And I think, in my case, I was hoping this was full-blown creature feature and we could leave the, the themes at home for a bit. I, w- I was hoping for just a straightforward monster rips people apart movie. And I felt like most of this film is a drama about abuse. Which is fine. I just think that it wasn't built like that. Um, and the creature, you get glimpses throughout the movie. You only really get a good look at the end. And then it is killed so quickly and so unceremoniously. I was like, this is a thing that's been ripping people apart the whole movie. And a kid stabs it in the back with a pocket knife and it's gone. Oh, but it's not really gone if you remember the little end scene. Yeah. But the creature is dead from a little kid with a pocket knife. And that was yeah, like, really? It was going to be a new creature. Look, man, it's, it's based off the Wendigo lore. Like, it doesn't ever truly die. It just finds a new host. Yeah, but these things should be easier to kill than that, is what I'm saying. Like, yeah, it, it's going to find a new host. But, like, previous hosts should have, you know, should have been harder to kill. That's just That was a big sticking point for me. Uh, whatever. <laughs> I don't know. That's all I really got. <laughs> I, I think my thing is like with it being just a straight creature feature is that that can go so like in horror especially I can go one or two ways like it would be really good in a fun throw ride or what has been happening a lot recently where it's like that really cheap just shot straight the video like they quickly gobbled it together and called it a day. Um, in one case I couldn't name it. I think it's actually called Creature it had a random incest subplot that was not needed and so unnecessary. And it doesn't tell you about it until you're literally watching your brother and sister do it. And you're like, wait a minute. And so like, you know, that can go, it can go right away with that. Um, I, I don't know. I liked that it had something to say and it was super at- atmospheric. It really utilized the PNW Pacific Northwest when it's not going through a heat wave really well. True. I think I just I wanted it to be scarier. I wanted more Wendigo action and I wanted a little less drama. Like I've seen so many horror films this year that are just dramas wearing a coat of paint. And I would very much like that to stop. Nah. You're really you're really on that A24 hate train. 
Yes, I am. It's happened so many times this year alone, man. I'm so tired of it. Just give me a monster movie where a legendary creature just eats people for two hours. That's all I want. Dude, you, know, you gotta see the after effects. You gotta see that one kid get fucked up. Actually, no, I didn't. I went to the bathroom and came back as the kid was being killed, so I didn't actually see that, which sucked. Damn it. That was an awesome scene. Yep. So my cousin told me. I, I took my cousin Miles to see this, and he was like, oh, dude, you missed you missed a big part. I'm like, god damn it. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, uh, that sucked. I, it was, I thought it had some frightening moments here and there. Um, whenever they were, it was utilizing the wind, uh, the sounds of the Wendigo. Like those were like really creepy for me because you could not tell where the fuck it was at, like ever. That's true. I thought Until Dawn did such a fantastic job with the Wendigo lore and the Wendigo design and the idea that that's kind of become like the gold standard for like a Wendigo to me. So I was kind of in my head kind of comparing the two the whole time, which I probably shouldn't have done, but it's going to happen subconsciously. I mean, I've played Until Dawn. I love Until Dawn. I didn't compare it to Antlers. That's fine. I did. But I also want to give a shout out to the kid, the main kid in this movie. Hell of performance, in my opinion. That kid was really good in this movie. He was. The performances were good. Uh. I don't know. I just, you know, I've got my own problems with it. I just, I wanted more. I give it a seven. Okay, I will give it an eight because of the move. In case anyone's wondering, if you do use the website, again, because of the move, I've not been reviewing the films I watched for this episode. I've just been watching them and then putting them on my little box. Yeah. So this one would be an eight if I was had to type that one. I have not yet reviewed the movie. I will later. It has been a long day. Um, so, yeah, I think, yeah, we're not agreement on Antlers. Paranormal Activity next of kin. I'm very interested to hear your thoughts on this one because I have some strong ones. That was because I gave you so much shit about not wanting to watch it? Yeah. All right. I shall begin then because I feel like you're making me a start. Yeah. <laughs> oh, boy. Okay. Um, how do I start? Well... First off, it starts out kind of incredibly boring, and it doesn't really do anything exciting for a good chunk of this runtime. Um, I get that they were making this to be. I, I did the writer for this movie got on Twitter to explain some stuff about it. It was meant originally as a reboot for the franchise, and then I guess the studio was up in the middle, so there was some issues behind the scenes that were happening with this movie. Um. But with that said, like what I'm given, especially coming from this where he's giving me like Freaky and the Happy Death Day movies, which I love those movies. This movie is it's just, yeah, like I said, it's boring. There's not a lot that really happens. Um, and it makes this mind-boggling decision to have shots that aren't fucking found footage throughout the movie. And there's no like quick moment to be like, okay, it's just a documentary that they put together and we found, which you could get away with saying that much. Like, oh no, it's not found footage, it's a documentary. Film. Okay, cool. No, it's just like they just randomly just have moments where I'm like, there's no way in hell they're filming that right now. I was like, that's not found footage moment. <laughs> and then um, yeah, there's music, those music cues when scares happen. 
And I'm like, okay, again, it's not a documentary. It's found footage. It is amazingly sleek. Um, I don't know if that's something that we need to rectify with found footage, but when your movie looks fucking damn near 4K quality, hard for me to get into the realism on a found footage film. <laughs> it looks great on my iPad. That's what I watched on. I was like, Jesus Christ. Um, the use of slow-mo shots. All right. They introduce slow-mo in the movie, and he's showing the kids that. When you're running away from a demon, at what point did you think it was okay to slow-mo your friend's jaw getting ripped off as he's getting killed? It was like, okay, this was why. <laughs> Just why? Um, with all that said, the server lining, ooh, Intent, folks, for an upcoming show. Is that it had a bonkers third act, like, in. Like, that bonk, when they were going back to the village, after they escaped the demon, like, I loved all of that. Like, that bonkers, just everything's on flames. People were just acting crazy. That was awesome. And everything was like, where was this the rest of the fucking movie? I liked that, and I thought what genuinely creeped me out, because I was watching it late, lights were off. Um... If anyone doesn't know, I'm now living with fellow filmgasm podcaster Josh Howard. Um, Josh was asleep in his room, so I'm alone in the dark. And that scene when the cop goes in the room and the dude's crying and sounds like a fucking baby legit gave me chills. Okay. That part was creepy. But again, notice all of this happens at the end of the fucking movie. And then the movie ends. <laughs> well, so. With a paranormal activity movie being stuck in production hell for so long. Um, is this what we all wanted? I don't think so. Um, for one thing, this has absolutely fuck all to do with the previous six movies. It's not a paranormal activity movie. They just slapped that on to get more to get brand recognition. And that really pissed me off. Just call it Next of Kin. Just release a movie called Next of Kin and have this be an original found footage-ish horror movie. What's wrong with that? I mean, uh, yeah, still would not have been great, but go on. Yeah, I agree. It wouldn't have been great. Um, the music cues bothered me more than anything. Like, it totally take, took me out of the movie. There's a lot of, there's a few found footage movies that did that, like The Pyramid comes to mind that had that same thing, and that really pissed me off because it, it took me out of the movie immediately. I'm like, oh, this is not found footage. This was made in a studio. Like, you mm. can tell just right there. And yeah, the 4K camera really bothered me too. Like, yeah. this guy, you know, she's filming a documentary about her would-be family and she's doing it with like a $2 million studio camera. <laughs> it's like, I think they forgot that when you make a found footage film, the reason one's like Blair Witch worked and just excluding the marketing part, that was obviously the hugest factor in Blair Witch working. I'm aware of that. Um, but things like that, and even like, okay, going back to the original Paranormal Activity, right? They didn't look like a Hollywood production. They looked, they had such a strong dedication from the filmmakers and the actors to make something that felt genuinely real so as to get the reactions they got out here and why those are two now landmark films in the, in the subgenre. Like, those are like the two of the biggest gold standards. When you take that away and try to say it's found footage, 
I don't feel the fear. I don't feel what you're trying to tell me because you've lost that sense of realism because you want abstracts that are clearly what a Hollywood movie does. Yeah. Uh, so one thing I did, I really liked was the setup. You know, the Amish have always kind of made me a little uncomfortable anyway. I always feel like they're hiding something. And uh, I'll say it, they creep me the fuck out. The bit where they get picked up by the mailman and they start talking about the farm and he's like, oh, they're not Amish. Like that gave me the, that gave me goosebumps. That was, yeah, that was good. Yeah. And the whole like the pit under the church. I was really hoping for more there. Uh, didn't really get it. Uh, what else we got here? Um, it does continue the paranormal activity tradition of being ridiculously boring until the last 20 minutes. They've all done that. Well, I again, I make an argument that I will always defend the third and uh, the fifth movie, the Mark ones. They actually felt like they were doing shit throughout the movie and then had a really good finale. I'll give it to one and two. Honestly, they're the only two I tolerate. Uh, I'm assuming... Hmm? Sorry, I was going to say, did it bug you when like? She puts the camera down, whatever, and all of a sudden it's like a fucking actual movie out of nowhere, no context. That bothered me. And then moments where the guy would be like, holy shit. And then like like when they're like running and he'd be like, oh, don't forget to grab the camera. (laughs) Just keep going. Like that reminded me of Cloverfield where TJ Miller just kept like picking up the camera. And they're like, just drop it, dude. He's like, no, we got to film this. (laughs) That probably bugged me because it just it comes necessarily with the territory of found footage. It was one of the fact that those Hollywood shots, because it wasn't even like, um, you know, like, let's say like behind the mask, right? I know it makes that flip halfway through, but there's a reason for that flip. There's a, that, that, that flip is the payoff to what you just saw. Yeah. Now I know like, again, I'm aware that like people fall on a love or hate camp on that. I know you weren't as into it as I was, but I get it. But I mean, for me, like I liked it because again, there was a payoff for me, which is a random shot of, yeah, this is actually us just filming. We're not found footage in this part. I'm like, why? 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 I think they missed an opportunity to tie this to the original films. Like, why not have this Amish cult be part of that coven? Why not have, you know, instead of Asmodeus be like the demon from the fucking, you know, what's his name, Toby? Mm-hmm. Yeah, why not reveal that that was, you know, Toby's real name is Asmodeus and like they trapped him here or something like I mean, just if you're going to be part of a franchise, you know, join the fucking club. I get the feeling that in this being a soft reboot like they were planning, it was eventually going to probably tie into, like, the actual, like, main series. Yeah. But it, apparently, you know, and again, like I said, with the maybe I'll bring it up here, the fact that, you know, Clearly, somewhere, someone along the way lost faith in this fucking movie. So I don't think what they probably had planned is going to happen. Because it was supposed to be a theatrical release. You know, obviously COVID delayed it at first. But then, you know, they delayed it all the way up to 2022. And then out of nowhere, and actually, I didn't mean, the random need to put COVID references in the movie that don't amount to anything. But moving on. Um, but, uh. They do that, and then all of a sudden they just randomly take it off the fucking schedule with no release date, no nothing, just it's gone. And then, like, maybe a month ago, they're like, yeah, it's coming to Paramount Plus. 
check it out there. Paramount Plus exclusive, guys. And a trailer came out like what a week or two ago at best. Yeah. And then this comes out, and now it's like I'm just thinking of you know the upcoming new Chainsaw Massacre. The fact that Netflix bought it, it's like okay, are we about to have the same thing now with Chainsaw Massacre? Did like people watch? Did they watch that and go, ooh? Let's see if one of the streamers will take it. Maybe. Since Netflix bought it, much like Paranormal Activity, I haven't heard a fucking peep about that movie. Don't know when it. Don't know when it's coming out. No really say no nothing. Paramount Plus needs to figure their shit out because they've had two major film exclusives this year and they both sucked. So I don't, you know, that's two strikes. Is this gonna maybe they should just stick to TV? They're doing great with Star Trek. But say they should just stick with TV because Star Trek's fucking making big bucks from them. Yeah, but Infinite was awful. Next of Kin ain't doing ain't winning any awards. I watched it alone at night with the lights off and felt nothing. <laughs> Which I don't know if that's just me, if I've become so jaded because of all this shit, or if it was just not a great movie. But after hearing you talk I, about it, I think it's just not a great movie. I was look, it's for me, it's not a great movie because I, I remember watching anything for Jackson with the lights off. And I had moments where I was like, oh God, okay. Oh, dude, the eight foot tall ghost, I shut I turned those lights back on and had to stop myself from having a fucking heart attack. So yeah. Yeah, so like it, a movie can still give me if it does good, but there's just so much with this movie that I spent I spent more time this movie going, why are you doing this? <laughs> then yeah. you really focus on the movie. I think at one point I finally just said, you know what, I'm just gonna play Solitaire on my phone. I had more fun playing Solitaire on my phone than <laughs> actively watching those. I was like, oh, I'm so fucking. It's like, god damn it. I didn't grab for my phone, but the only reason is because I was wedged in the corner of my bed with my cat next to me and I physically couldn't reach the phone without undoing my comfy. So I was like, I guess I'm just in this. <laughs> this is my life now. <laughs> but I was thinking about other things. So if that counts, I yeah. was not, I was not attentive. Uh, yeah, no, I, I get that. This, uh, like, and like I said, like, it really made me mad when I got to the end. I was like, okay, I'm actually enjoying this ending you gave me with the the village losing its fucking mind of stuff and then like the crying uh man that sounds like a baby. Like I was like, that's some mood. I was like, there's two really great scenes back to back. What happened to the rest of your movie? And even like the scene before the village was down when they were escaping the demon, that was actually pretty, I thought, tense and good and well done. Again, minus the fucking moments of non-found footage. But it was um, like, where was all of this before any of this shit happened? The bit where uh, Margot was in the attic, I thought was going to, like, something was going to happen. And then all yeah, we got was, like, out. all we got was form on a bed. And I feel like I've seen that before in this franchise. Well, and the thing is, too, like, the, that part's not scary. Like, most movies, the form on the bed is the lead up to the fucking punchline, basically. Like, Instead, she gets out from her bed and nothing's there, and you're supposed to be creeped out by that. But it's like, no, this is what you do. Like a, at some point, a jump scare here someone to get me. But right now, I'm just like, eh. See, that's why I like part two the most because I feel like two had shit happening the whole time. You know that bit like when the, in the middle of the day where like all the cabinets explode open. <laughs> like I didn't see that coming. Oh yeah, yeah. See that. <sighs> 
That one, um, I always think of one that always got me was in the third prone activity with the the fan camera. And it, uh, the ghost in the sheet, it keeps getting closer to her as the camera is like spinning around. So as it's spinning, you see it, you don't see it move, but you see it's closer constantly. So it's right fucking behind her. And you're like, oh, and all of a sudden she gets up and the thing just drops to the ground. I remember that. I remember that. Yeah, I remember the, the, the sheet dropping to the ground. I got I to gotta marathon these again. It's been a very long time since I watched these films. I'm telling you, if you do, I, I'm telling you, I think you would actually like three in the marked ones. Those were a lot of fun for me. Those are actually my personal two favorites. Maybe if I watch them close together, there will be some semblance of continuity I can follow. I doubt that, especially because Ghost Dimension really fucked it all up. <laughs> well, we'll see. We've got a whole other podcast for horror movies like this where we can just take our time and analyze. Uh, I threw Next of Kin in the book, so one day this will get the treatment of a full film gasm and not, right. you know, 20 minutes on a sneak preview. One day we got to watch it again. <laughs> yeah. And let's be honest, this ain't going to be the last paranormal activity movie. This franchise is going to last forever because it's profitable. Look, if it's anything like fucking how Saw did, right? Jigsaw didn't exactly reignite the franchise back to life, but we still got Spiral this year. So, yeah, eventually we'll get another one. But Spiral honored the source material and built on a foundation that was established. Next of Kin did not. Yeah, but that's what I'm saying. Like, if this one didn't reignite it, they'll show it for a little bit and then come back to it and be like, yeah, let's, let's try again. Let's try reigniting again. Yep. Well, those are the two we uh, wanted to spotlight before we get into our big movie. Uh, Last Night in Soho, uh, directed and co-written by Edgar Wright, who's previously directed. Credits include Shaun of the Dead, Hot Fuzz, The World's End, Scott Pilgrim versus The World, and Baby Driver. All great films. Uh, Edgar Wright's track record is fucking brilliant. And Last Night in Soho was an oddball, but an entertaining and unique oddball that I was I, I was entertained by. So I'll say as someone who's very fresh off seeing it, Edgar writes me is one of the few if only directors that has a flawless track record. I like every single film that he's come out with. Same. And I am happy to report that when I walked out of the theater, my first thought was like the track record continues. I really liked this movie. I, you know, he's always had that edge. He's always been able to do horror. Like, you can see those horror moments in Sean Dead that you're like, okay, he has it. Even in, like, Hot Fuzz and the Woods End. But, you know, obviously, he's also had a lot of comic sensibility to his movies. And I, there's nothing wrong with that because he's fucking great with it. I, I, he makes some of the funniest films that I've seen. But seeing him get so, you know what, let's drop the comedy and go straight horror. I just want to go for it. And how he pulled it off so fucking well. I was like, hell, yeah. I was like, it, it was in there. And we finally, we get to see it. This movie showed us, like, a, the full horror side of Edgar Wright. And I fucking loved every second of it. Nice. That's high praise. Mm-hmm. Uh, personally, I've always been blinded by the balls on this kid. And uh, a <laughs> little baby driver reference for you. Uh, yeah, I... You picked the Kevin Spacey one. I love that line because of how fucked up it is now. Um, Edgar Wright. Yeah, he's fantastic. Uh, obviously, you know, the Cornetto trilogy, very dear to my heart. I love those movies so much. And uh, Baby Driver was really cool. Last Night in Soho 
I think is his most, uh, how do I say, his most well constructed film in terms of like set design and uh, sound design. I was very surprised at that. Like the way he reconstructed 1960s London was fucking gorgeous. Uh, very impressed with that. The performances are lights out. Uh, and the story is engaging and creative. And I love that. Uh, yeah, I got nothing but praise here. Yeah, I, yeah, I'm, I'm the same. And the performance is great. The, the story, like, I, I remember me and Josh talking about it on the way back. You know, I called the first twist with the guy because I remember when they, you know, it gets revealed. I was like, okay, that makes sense because I remember watching the trailers going, there's no way this guy's supposed to be the older fucking Matt Smith. There's no way the trailer, we're going to put that in the fucking trailers. Yeah. Unless they're fucking real shitty marketing team. Um, so that one, I was like, okay, I kind of saw that. Okay. But then I was like, okay, well then what's going on? Like immediately I went from like, oh, okay. Then like, wait, well, wait. And then like, I can truthfully say I did not get the fucking ultimate twist that happened. I didn't clue into it until you see her mail and it has that first, and they show the first thing for a split second. I was like, Oh no. I, I did have my suspicions after Terrence stamp gets wrecked by that fucking cab driver who keeps popping up and almost killing people throughout the entire movie. <laughs> um, after that, I was like, wait a minute. Hmm. I started to think of like, maybe this is, maybe the twist is she killed him. So I started kind of putting it together, but I wasn't sure if they were really going to do it. And then they did. And that was great. Uh, but yeah, Terrence Stamp, actually, I didn't call that one. I had my suspicions when we met the younger guy in the, in the montage and he kind of looked like Terrence Stamp. And I'm like, wait a minute, who's this guy? But we'll, we'll get into that. Um, the cast. Thomas and McKenzie stars as Eloise, a shy, soft-spoken, aspiring fashion designer obsessed with the culture of 1960s London. McKenzie was in Jojo Rabbit, The King, Old, and she can be seen again in the upcoming Netflix Western drama, The Power of the Dog. Uh, yeah, she was the older daughter in Old. Really? Yeah. The one who, like, not the one who becomes pregnant, but the other one. Yeah, no, yeah, the, the main character, so yeah. I guess, whatever you want to call it. Uh, oh, okay. Um, she's a lot better outside of old, but we talked about that already. Yeah, she's fantastic in this. I thought she was brilliant in uh, Jojo Rabbit. And uh, she was the uh, the Jewish girl hiding in the walls. That's right. I was to she was going to hide in the walls, wasn't she? Yep. Okay, and then yeah, she- yeah, no, she... Yeah, I was about to say outside of Shyamalan, she's a fantastic young actress. Outside of Shyamalan, most of his performers are great actors. <laughs> it's almost like there's something wrong with the writing. <laughs> uh, <laughs> direction. <laughs> but uh, yeah, Mackenzie proves with this one that she's uh, she's here to stay. She's got she can lead a film, and uh, I'm excited to see where she goes. Yeah, I was, um, I really liked her. Like, you know, like, I went to this, like, I'm sure we won't talk about her, but I knew Anna Taylor really was, like, going to be good. She's proven herself to me numerous times in past movies. I was like, but I, Thomas and McKenzie, she's a little bit newer. Like, I didn't even, like, so I didn't recognize her in old, but I was about pretty much, like, checked out about halfway through that movie. <laughs> um, 
And um, I keep forgetting that she was to go in the closet and Jojo Rabbit. She, yeah, this movie, I mean, I guess you could say, like, really her centerpiece showcase movie, she just aces it. She is fantastic. From seeing her transform from this very shy, like, country-type girl moving to the big city and pursuing her dreams and that wide-eyed to, like, her transitioning to becoming more like Sandy and more with like the hair and really kind of coming into her own throughout the movie and then just being determined to solve this crime. Like she fucking, she, she was lights out. My one beef with the movie is the, the her bitch roommate never really got hers. Yeah. Yeah. I was really hoping for at least like a fuck you from Eloise something. I, I was I was honestly I kind of was hoping she would have gotten stabbed, but you know that's just me. Yeah, this movie would have a very, you know, not a very happy ending if she just straight up stabbed her in the forehead with shears in the middle of the library. <laughs> These reflexes, like dear God, he got that quick. I would have fucked that up. Been like, oh God, oh, and you stabbed her. Um, we were yep. Anya Anya Taylor Joy plays Sandy, the 60s girl that Eloise becomes attached to. Uh, she's one of the biggest rising stars in Hollywood today, having appeared in such films as The Witch, Emma, Split, The New Mutants, and the popular Netflix miniseries The Queen's Gambit. She's set to appear in Robert Eggers' Viking adventure The Northman and the upcoming Mad Max prequel film Furiosa. So she is big stuff right now. And this is just another you know feather in her cap. Very good performance. Yeah, no, she's she's really good in this, and um, and her storyline is dark as shit, but also very on point with that time. You know, you come to a big city with any kind of talent, it's going to be used and abused, and you're going to be just dried out, and you know, it's really fucked up, but. It made sense. I like a lot of people were saying about this movie that um, Edgar Wright kind of uses nostalgia against you, kind of shows you that, like the good old days are dead. They never existed in the first place. And that's kind of brilliant. Um, yeah. Yeah. No, it's uh, he was actually he was talking about that on the uh, postmortem make Garris podcast episode I was listening to. Um, and he, I, I get it because he's really kind of tackling, tackling that idea about. You know, here we are, we are so focused on the past and like, you know, the nostalgia of the 60s or the 70s or the 80s, right? I want oh, 90s seems to be coming up here now. I keep seeing more and more for 90s. It seems to be the new one. But, you know, like this nostalgia, because people have in their head that like nothing apparently was wrong back then. And I'm like, a lot of the issues we're facing today were still around, still prevalent. Some issues were more open, some were just more underground than they are now. I was like, but they were there. And this film kind of shows that, like, she wants this so bad, but then she forgets that even in the 60s, dudes would take advantage of young girls that wanted to be famous. Yeah. I like how at the end of this, though, Eloise is kind of, you know, with her fashion show, there's like a blend of sixties and modern, like she's found a balance of nostalgia and looking to the future, which was good. Reckon it. I, I like that, that, uh, you know, theme. Going. Yeah. Uh, Matt Smith is Jack Sandy's pimp and a complete 
asshole, just the worst kind of person. To uh, put it <laughs> yeah. But he's also just so damn charming. Uh, but that's just Matt Smith. He became an overnight success when he was cast as the 11th doctor on BBC's Doctor Who, uh, who he played for three seasons. He was also in Terminator Genesis, Pride and Prejudice and Zombies, His House, and the Netflix series The Crown as Prince Philip. He's set to play the villain in Marvel and Sony's Morbius, and he'll star in HBO's Game of Thrones spinoff series House of the Dragon as Prince Daemon Targaryen. And uh, I wish him all the success. I've heard he is like such a stand-up guy, very nice, loves his fans, and I'm glad he's finally able to get a film career on track because Terminator Genesis did not work out for anybody. Uh, but here we are. So good for him. I like, I like Matt Smith a lot. Yeah, I, I, you know me. I haven't seen Doctor Who yet, so I don't have that that familiar with him. But I have liked him in a lot of what I've seen outside of that. Um, and I was really, I was actually really interested in him in this movie because he was playing a villain role. And up until now, I know he's playing in Morbius, but up until now, he's usually the lovable, good guy. Like you, you really like Matt Smith and a lot of his stuff. So for him to kind of use that charm but now use it in a villainous way was just brilliant to me. Like it's taking what you know about, not just this character, not a, char- a character we haven't met before, but like the actor, Matt Smith, this charming, nice guy and using that to lure women into a red light district. And it's, and he, he plays this part of just as villainous uh, asshole to put it lightly. Like I'm, I'm really trying to figure out a good word for it. Uh, so well like he is oddly captivating to watch well i've noticed that with particularly the actors who play the doctor they play such great sadistic villains like look at david tennant as uh kilgrave in jessica jones he was great in that yeah look at christopher eccleston in 28 days later like hmm? i was like oh yeah i I always forget he's in the fucking 20 days later, he has that big scene where, like, we have to keep the women so the boys can be happy. Yeah, it's crazy. And I think it's because, you know, playing the, just the Doctor Who connection, the, the character of the Doctor is so unbelievably complex and so layered as a hero, as a villain to others, as a man who doesn't care but also cares a lot. And to play that character immediately raises you to, like, be a noticeable hero at you know in Hollywood like you get typecast so I think they go out of their way to play evil characters as a way to like kind of balance their careers mm-hmm. that's just a theory of mine I can't prove that but it's just what I've seen and they're great at it yeah like I said he he was really good and I know like I would say about halfway through he's more like he pops up mainly as the the ghostly vision yeah. But what we do get of him is really, really good. I agree. I hope we get to see more Matt Smith in the future. I may, and this is a, this is a, not a declaration. This is a, a big fat maybe. I may watch House of the Dragon for him. We're gonna watch House of the Dragon. You got it. I may with like for him. You most definitely probably will. I'll be standing by for the text to confirm what I know. Oh, like you're not gonna watch it. Nope. You are. You watch every... It's a completionist thing. You have to watch it. You shut your mouth. 
you watched Game of Thrones, you have to watch everything connected to it or you can't sleep. I haven't done that at Walking Dead, so ha. You will. Shut up. <laughs> Michael <laughs> Michael Ajao, I think it is, plays John, a fellow student who takes a liking to Eloise. Ajao was also in Attack the Block and a few episodes of various British series. So this is a big one for him. Uh, and he's great. I think a little too uh, forgiving of some things. <laughs> but um, good yeah, guy. Yeah, but... But also, yeah, you could say that, but it's nice to actually see, especially in a movie that deals with just really like disgusting pigs of men. Yeah, it's good that that they he count that you know I write count balances it with such a nice male character that it is generally likes her, generally looks out for her well being. Even that you know the scene where she is freaking out and they're about to have sex, you know he doesn't at any point get mad at her. He doesn't try to force himself on he just he takes the hint you know leaves quickly because you know things escalate in the scene and then quickly just wants to talk about be like hey can we just talk about what happened like it it's nice it's a good counterbalance to the story being told i agree i agree with that uh dame diana rig plays alexandra eloise's landlady rig was one of the most beloved and respected actresses in the uk she played the Bond girl Countess Tracy Di Vincenzo in On Her Majesty's Secret Service. The only Bond girl who ever uh, tied Bond down. Uh, she starred in the popular BBC adventure series, The Avengers. Not Marvel, but BBC's Avengers with the top hat, the Black Widow costume. Um, and most recently gained an entirely new fan base as sharp-tongued and quick-witted Olena Terrell on Game of Thrones. Sadly, Rig passed away at 82 years old from lung cancer in 2020. Last Night in Soho was her last performance, and it was dedicated to her memory. And what a fucking final performance. My God. <laughs> she was fantastic. Easily my favorite part of this movie. Uh, I was blown away. I can't believe that at 82, she still like she had this range in her to play a fucking serial killer in her last performance. Like, bravo. Yeah, she is great. Like even before you find out the twist, right? She's really good. She actually had like to me some of the most subtle humorous moments in the movie, uh, with her interactions with Ellie. Um, but yeah, when they get to that twist and she's delivering that speech and explaining everything, she is she's terrifying. Like I was legit scared. And um, then when it gets to the point where she's like resigning to her fate, it you're kind of you're kind of sad because it's you know. Yeah, I wouldn't. I don't think I necessarily agree how far she went with her revenge, but she had a line I really liked when she hears the siren. She goes, "I won't go to prison because my whole life has been in prison." Or something along those lines. That line stung. Like, I can't imagine going through what she went through. That your own life felt like a prison, and that when the moment comes that you have to answer for the own crimes that you did. You'd rather kill yourself than fucking go there. Yeah, strong stuff. Uh, she brought a real, you know, I feel like in the hands of any other director, this would have been a big like, ha it's the villain, you know, like a Halloween style ending. But he brought real human nature to this character. You know, you feel for her. You understand why she did it. And it's... It, I like that she didn't like she had that moment of like, you know, I don't want to kill Eloise like she doesn't want to do it. 
And she has just like a moment. I love when she's looking in the, in the room, everything's on fire and she just kind of stops. It's, you don't see that, you know, I, I literally just watched a movie that had a very similar ending. Uh, I don't remember what it was, but it was uh, like, it was very much like this. And I think it ended the typical way. So I was like, oh, okay, this is nice. This is refreshing. Yeah, it's, it, it, they just, I lost my train of thought. But yeah, no, it's just like, it's nice to see. Okay, oh yes. Okay, here we go. I'm on track. Um, it to me it was so refreshing and so like how they humanized her so well that I remember when it got to the point where uh, Ellie's getting grabbed by all the dudes in the bed, and the guy holds phone goes help me. I got scared. Mm-hmm. I was like, I for me, I was like, please do not make this. Do not make these people sympathetic because at the end of the day, these guys are fucking monsters. Yeah. I was like, please do not do this to me, movie, because you're going to get really problematic if you do this. But nope. Ellie goes, no, and turns out I was like, oh, okay, thank you. Thank you, because it's like, yeah, no, like, she may have, again, she may have become a monster in her revenge, but those guys were monsters in and of themselves. Yeah, completely different kind of monster, but just as damaging. Um, I remember the movie, but I don't want to say it, because it it is a big, fat spoiler at the end, and I don't want to... uh, I don't want anyone who came here not expecting to spoil this movie, get it spoiled. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I'll just, I'll tell you after we end here. Um, The last guy I want to talk about is Oscar nominee, Terrence Stamp, who plays the mysterious gentleman who hangs out at Eloise's bar. Stamp was nominated for his performance in 1962's Billy Budd and is known mostly for his role as the tyrannical general Zod in the first two Superman movies alongside Christopher Reeve and Gene Hackman. He was also in The Haunted Mansion, The Limey, Yes Man, Young Guns, and The Adventures of Priscilla, Queen of the Desert. And Terrence Stamp has always been a favorite character actor of mine. And I was very happy to see him here. Uh, he's great and a very good red herring. Yeah, I remember when uh, his name popped up the whole movie. I was like, Terrence Stamp. I was like, that's Zod, right? I was like, that, that's Zod. I was like, pretty, I'm pretty sure it's Zod, but I'm in the theater. I can't pull up my phone and text Connor, but I'm almost positive. So thank you. <laughs> <laughs> But, yeah, he's really good in this. Um, he really does, like, I mean, and like I said, with the whole, like, you know, the trailer, there's no way else you got bad marketing in the trailer. It's going to spoil that he is Matt Smith. So, for those wondering, he's not. Um, but as far as his performance and what you're watching, he does a good job of making you think throughout most of the movie, like, oh, okay, he has to be. Like, he's... He comes off creepy and slimy and sleazy and just like a dude that's like, like he comes off like that old dude that just hasn't mentally, it's not mentally his age. He still thinks he's much younger than he actually is. So he hits on all these like super young ladies and it's just more creepy than anything else. Well, he, he brings that up in the movie. Like she's, you know, when Eloise tries to talk to him, she says like, I heard you were kind of a ladies man back in the day. And he goes, how dare you? I still am. Like, are you? <laughs> but are you, you're training yeah. alone a lot there, buddy. Yeah. Creepily staring at young women and trying to touch them is not being a ladies man. Uh, but I do like that from the trailers, like they, they, the way the trailers designed is you go in expecting him to be an older Matt Smith who got away with murder. But the way it unfolds is so smart and kind of just, you know, 
kicks you off your chair. Like you're like, what? Oh, now we're in this. And I like that. Yeah, because I remember thinking like, okay, so I'm going to I went through thinking, okay, he's he's a little mass myth and she has to figure out how to take him down finally. And, and even seeing all the police stuff. And then when they did that and it said like, oh no, I'm just I was a cop. I actually, you know, the thing is that he was a cop that worked the red light district and tried to get a lot of people out. And they have that scene where they go back and he's actually the guy that was talking to Sandy. And it's like, oh, then wait what the fuck's going on in the movie now then like it just it just flips it immediately like wait i uh uh i i don't know what's happening anymore the trailer told me one thing and now it's a whole different movie and usually i don't like that but edgar wright was very smart this this one he's always been very smart i think his biggest skill is film editing yes i was about to say i i was gonna wait till we were talking about the movie uh cast here but Yes, absolutely. Uh, just seeing some of the stuff he does with like, um, when the, like the dancing when she's dancing and he is cutting between Anya Taylor Joy and Thomason McKenzie, like constantly just cutting between the two ladies. Yeah, it's so brilliant and well done. And it's not like he's doing it to show off that he's doing it, it's so you understand what's happening. You, it's a part of the story and how he keeps framing certain charts or moving the camera certain way to get you into how like this the wars are melting together for our main character and for our main character in her mind like it's all just everything's topsy-turvy like it's just yeah it's brilliant brilliant oh hell yeah um last night in soho has an imdb score of 7.6 current rotten tomato score of 74 percent it's only grossed about six million on its 43 million dollar budget and is currently being viciously outsold by dune so probably not going to do well but will probably be a cult success, probably get some Oscar attention and go down as, you know, a win for Edgar Wright. I hope so, because you know what? Fuck you, Dennis. Fuck you, Dennis. Uh, um. Right back <laughs> to my old ways now. <laughs> yeah. So, last night in Soho, um, have you been to, to London? haven't i've been i want love i would love to go i just haven't i've been there once i was there for about three days and it is a wonderful city uh so it's like a clean new york (laughs) but with friendly people and um it was neat getting you know I, i went to soho and uh it was just it was neat getting to have like a little reminiscent about that but the way that you know this film really shows off london and, you know, London now and London in the 60s, kind of using the setting as a way to represent what's going on with these girls. Uh, it's hinted at the beginning that, you know, Eloise can see ghosts. Like, she's constantly seeing her mom who had a gift that drove her to suicide. So she's like, you know, second generation psychic. Which uh, was actually uh, brought on, again, this is from the interview I listened to uh, Edgar Wright this was a personal touch for him apparently his mom is really into that stuff hmm. and um, his mom would claim that he apparently had a paranormal experience that he doesn't remember as a kid but she tells him about it like all the time and so and she's very frank and open about being into that type of stuff so that so he took a lot of that into the character 
of Ellie and that kind of frank openness that she has about it with her grandma and um, having that kind of stuff. So he says a little bit like his mom in that that story, a little bit of his with uh, the character and the ghostly stuff. Well, that's cool. I like that. You know, you can always tell a personal touch. Um, I if it, we didn't really we haven't talked much about Jocasta, the uh, horrible Gosh. roommate. Oh, she's a bitch. Just from the get go, just like worst qualities in a human being. I, I've I I hate roommates. I've had r- terrible roommates in the past, and this made me think about all of that. Like, yeah. Ugh. You still as I have a roommate. I, it's fine. Josh yeah, but you a, you know and like Josh. You guys have been friends for years. Like Josh, like this is <laughs> this is an okay situation. But like, if you just got slapped with some asshole you don't know who is everything that you aren't and is constantly at at odds with you and like just treating you like shit, yeah, that that would suck. Yeah, I think it's just like uh, everything about this character. You're just set up to fucking hate her. Like the whole like, oh, you don't, your last name, whatever. She's like, well, that's all the famous people just go by the first name. I'm like, what? And then like how like she had everything in the fridge labeled as hers. And there's only that one little spot for Ellie's fucking Coke, which Ellie, there was a Dr. Pepper right next to that Coke you fucking bought. How dare you? I paid attention. I saw it. I didn't know they had Dr. Pepper in London. Apparently they did in that shot. Cause I saw it and went, oh my God, they have Dr. Pepper. You ever had an English Fanta? No. It's like fizzy orange juice. It's delicious. It doesn't taste like you're drinking from an orange neon light like Fanta in America does. Okay. Anyway, it's good shit. Yeah. Um, but yeah, she is just like, gosh, she is just the worst goddamn human being. And then like he quickly, he it's so quick to you see how she keeps taking things that Ellie is saying but twisting it to make her look better like oh your mom committed suicide or my uncle committed suicide what what a uh, the one up person like the the person who has to one up your story that's one of the worst types of people especially if your version of one upping is on suicide like what the fuck oh you're Mom committed suicide when my brother commits. Oh, okay, I didn't know this was a competition on which life one we grew close to commit suicide and how old we were when it happened. You can, if you if you ever meet any of these people, you can turn the tide of a conversation to be absolutely hilarious by constantly making outlandish lies that they then try to one up. And you just you, you can turn these people into your own like walking chapter books. It's hilarious. I would want to say shoot them and end their misery, but that works too. Yeah. Just say, you know, my my uncle went to the moon in like 75. It's like, oh yeah, well, my grandfather went to Mars. <laughs> and then they're going to be like, no, we didn't. He's like, yeah, prove it. You can, yeah, you can fuck these people up. <laughs> you just, so start out, just start out at Atlantis be like, my dad discovered Atlantis and then see what they say from there. <laughs> oh yeah? Well, my mom married sasquatch it's like so your dad's bigfoot uh yeah <laughs> oh boy fuck them fuck her jacasta i do love at the end it's it's ellie that has the fashion show and she's just like bitter 
and an angry in the back. Yeah. Where she belongs. But, yeah. Oh, dude, that scene where they're like, she comes in the bathroom and she's like talking shit about Ellie. I'm like, God, I just want to fucking, I just want to strangle you. I just want to fucking end it. I wish that she'd had, though. I wish that Ellie had said something of like, you know, fuck you, you'll never be nothing in this town or something like that. I don't know. I just, I wanted her to channel a little bit of Sandy and be a, be a, a tough ass bitch for a second there. Yeah. But I mean, she got the fashion show, so she did. She did win in the end. She got, she got a loving boyfriend. She made her family proud. She's going to be a talented fashion designer, and nobody is ever going to hear of fucking Jocasta. So I'm of Jocasta, Jocasta, JJ of the Costa. I don't know. I. <sighs> um. What else Speaking do we want to like do? terrible people, right? Thinking yeah. on the train track of Ellie, or not Ellie, Chicasta. Um, talk about her intro to London in general. Oh boy. Like, dear Lord. I've never seen someone get so harassed within like five minutes. Was that the same total. taxi driver who killed Terrence Stamp? I don't know. I don't think it was, but it would have been neat. Especially since, you know, Edgar Wright's known for, like, bringing things back, like, a cyclical nature in all of his movies. So I wouldn't be surprised. Into, yeah, he's very into, like, repetition, which we saw with the, that, that taxi driver, for sure, with the constant almost any period until he killed Terrence Stamp. He, um, like, everybody, like, kept just, you know, ah, Jesus, every time the guy kept just coming so close to hitting everybody, and then he killed Terrence Stamp. Like, what the fuck, man? <laughs> um, but, yeah, that was yeah. creepy, just saying, you know... Like, I don't remember exactly what he said, but it was like, you know, I'll hang around and watch you walk to class or some creepy shit. Oh, so because he kept asking if she was going to be like a model and actor or something. And she was like, oh, no, I'm here for fashion. She, he was like, oh, too bad. Could be a model with legs like those. Yeah. And okay. Like, Jesus. And, you know, I'll give her credit. She was a smart, smart girl because she was like, OK, stop here. I want to go grab something real quick. And she got out and went to that store and stayed there. And the creep is like fucking waiting. And I'm like, oh, dude. I kept expecting him to come back in some capacity. Yeah, I thought so. I was like, is he going to come back? But instead, instead, we keep getting, Ellie keeps getting just fucking assaulted with aggressively horny dudes. Because then she goes to the voucher costume. He makes that, the dude makes a joke, but they turn on her. What a horrible pickup line, by the way. Oh, yeah, that was terrible. I was like, who uses that for a pickup line? I was like, there's more. about a fucking established girlfriend. You can maybe use that line as a joke, but not not for a pickup line. That guy was a brave, fearless son of a bitch. And an asshole. Yeah. (laughs) You can be both. Yeah. Then it continues, right? Because then we get back. Apparently, there's a party happening in the dorm, and she, you know, Ellie goes to sit on that couch, and the dude just comes over and does the fucking. Oh, I hate when people do this. What are you listening to? And like grabs the fucking headphones. It's like, well, now nothing. I loved that that comeback of like, well, nothing now. (laughs) With a little subtext of dick. (laughs) Yeah. Because that's the only response you should ever say if someone does that to you. Like, well, nothing now because you took it away from me. 
But also, like, you know, she got kicked out of her bedroom because Jocasta showed up with a guy just started fucking on the on the bed right there. And she and just le- like she left to go avoid that. Yeah. And this is the thing, too, right? Like, obviously, I, I mean, I'm past my college days. I'm aware of what happens in colleges. I know that you're in a when a dorm room, it's like a, a room with two beds. It's not much there. And I'm sure guys have, you know, but usually, at least for guys, there's an established, like, all right, what are we going to do when someone's fucking? <laughs> usually it's not, oh, my roommate's there. Let's just fuck. It's like, if they're in there already, you go in there quiet. You try to be quiet because you don't want to disturb them. And that most be like, hey, man, do not turn around. Or you put a fucking sock on the door so that if they're not in there, they don't go in there. You don't just barge in there loud and start throwing clothes onto their bed that they're in. Well, as we learn immediately, Jocasta does not give a fuck what Ellie thinks or wants. So, you know, this whole thing is her room as far as she's concerned. Yeah, apparently. Because, I mean, she threw that shirt on at once. I was like, Jesus Christ. I felt so bad whenever Ellie would talk to her grandma and try to assure her that she was having a good time. Yeah. Until oh. she finally broke on that one on one phone call, and I was like, "Oh god damn it!" Mm. Yeah, um, I've never seen. I really is actually under Ellie. Has to go back to talking about that twist. Um, scene I really liked was when there it was a Sandy scene, and they keep having her go to the table. Hey, what's your name? She says a random name to prove a point that, and they say the same thing. Oh, that's a nice name. It's like, I like this thing because it's so fucking tragic in its own way that she literally can say any name. They don't give a shit. They're not even hearing that. They're, they're clearly not hearing it. They're just thinking, all right, cool. I got the one I want. Here's the train. Let's speed this up so I can go get, you know, a dick wet. That's all they're thinking. And for her to just be at that point where she's like, I think at one point she says some dude names. And they're just like, yeah, that's a pretty name. Yeah, she says Andy. (laughs) They don't even fucking care. It's, oh. And then, you know, she she went there to be a singer. Like, she's talented. And she hooks up with the wrong guy. Matt Smith just uses her. And it's no wonder she'd be, honestly, it was really satisfying to see her stab him to death. (laughs) No, that part was satisfying, yeah. (laughs) That and oh god, like and then like I remember watching it as I was just like, how deep did this go? Because the bartender, you know, directed her to him. And I was like, either the bartender did that not knowing what he was doing, or fully knows what that guy does, and was like, oh hey, I got another one for you, dude. And that's what I think is actually what happened. Yeah, he probably gets paid by the girl. Mm. Um, <clears throat> I like uh, that she does. Ellie does move out of the dorms and goes and gets an apartment. But I do wonder like, how the fuck did she pay for any of that? Oh yeah. Dude, look, that's the common question. In any movie or TV show I watch, I'm just sitting there going, their job does not afford that place. I was, I was talking to my cousin about that earlier today about how, you know, especially in like well, the biggest example I have is Supergirl. When Kara or Kara was just, you know, the assistant to the boss for the first couple seasons. And then out of the blue, she's like, I, I want to be a journalist now. And then like the next episode, she's a fucking journalist with no experience, degree, nothing. 
It's like, now whole, I am a journalist. And the whole time she has like the nicest apartment in a city where you know rent is sky high. Yep. Like, um, I think the only show, I know you didn't like the show, I think the only show that actually well, I remember watching and going, okay, I can see them having this apartment was Big Bang Theory. I was like, uh, uh, Sheldon and Linder's apartment. I was like, what they do? Yeah, I can see them having that apartment. Absolutely. Or aren't they like PhD, like scientists? Yes. But didn't pay show- well? Yeah, from what I know, yeah. I always thought scientists were like starving artists. No, from what I understand, it actually what they were doing pays extremely well. So that that show apparently was accurate. But then you got Penny, who should not have been living in the apartment next to them as a failed actress and an okay waitress. <laughs> well, I, yeah, I don't, and I don't like the Big Bang Theory. And I've never understood why it was such a success and why the people on it were paid like 15, 20 million bucks. I'll never understand that. <laughs> but yeah, fictional characters just saying like, I want this job. And then in like 20 minutes, having that job and not only that, but being like amazing at it really mm-hmm. irritates me like in the flash when iris is like oh my blog makes me a journalist and suddenly she's like the most respected journalist in the city like what yeah. <laughs> it, uh, it's like that and then like they're again there are places that they're like you don't afford a place like that with that salary. especially like i've noticed like, after having lived on the pacific northwest for so long yeah i'm like i see some of the places again i'm like there's no way fucking hell you 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 can afford that shit on what you're fucking making. Well, I mean, you know, she has a blog and he's a CSI, so naturally they have like a, you know, fifty thousand a month penthouse apartment in the center of the city. Naturally, <laughs> not living on the outskirts of town in a semi decent apartment. Even when Oliver Queen went broke, he still had a giant like condo. In the middle of town. Yeah, that's right. Like, all right. I guess we're just fucking, no one cares how much, what actual living looks like. <sighs> At least the Winchesters, you know, inherited the bunker. They stayed in motels. Like, they knew what they were about. Yeah. And even then, I've stayed in motels. They, they stay in, even then, one fallacy. Their motels have good Wi-Fi. I have yet to stay in a motel where I have fucking good Wi-Fi. If you look carefully, the partition in the room is the same every time. They're staying in the same fucking room every single time. It's just different wallpaper. (laughs) Knows in my name, like, oh, the Winchesters, you're back. (laughs) I miss that show. But hey, Ah. season three, we get us some Jensen Ackles going. That's true. Uncaged, if you will. Uncaged Jensen Ackles. And if we want our Jared fix, we could always watch Walker, but... I don't need that. I'm okay. <laughs> oh, if it's Jared, I... Chuck Norris is Walker, Texas Ranger. I'm okay. <laughs> I don't remember where we were with the movie. Let's New point. <laughs> um, <laughs> the scene where she gets, like, sworn by the ghosts in the library, I really I thought was really creepy. Uh, the design of the ghost, by the way, super creepy. No eyes, just you know, face like a like a um what like a uh, expressionless. That's the word. Like an expressionless face, just a void. It's, it's creepy. 
yeah, I was a I was a big fan of the of how the ghosts looked in this because again, Edgar Wright found a way to be original in my opinion with the look of the ghost. It's just not what you've been seeing ad nauseum with you know thanks to the films like The Conjuring and all that stuff. They had a very deep look, and yeah, that scene I remember that was creepy the way it was filmed, and you just I think like the lead up was like the dude leaves to go do his research. Excuse me. Leaves to go do his research, and then all of a sudden it cuts right back, and the lights are off, and you can see them coming in the background, closer and closer towards her. Oh yeah. So the ending where she sees her mom in the mirror, and then she sees Sandy. To to me, that implied that this isn't over. Maybe, but then she walks over and does the the finger thing. That she did at the beginning. So I wonder if it was more of like Sandy showing that she's found acceptance in in death almost. Like maybe. It's almost like her way of showing like a last thanks. Like you finally you finally gave me the peace I've so long needed. But that look on Ellie's face of like, oh shit, there she is again. Gave me a, a vibe of like, oh boy, what's what now? Yeah. I don't know. I mean Edgar's not one for sequels, so I doubt we'll ever get a follow-up to that. But, you know, I'll take it. Yeah, and that's probably why I took it that way, because I'm like, we're probably not going to get a sequel to this. So I took it as, like, Jorge saying, thank you for giving me the piece that I have so been searching for. Yeah, I, I'll i take it. Uh, I felt bad for the cop, like, for when she went to see the cops, and that one cop's just laughing at her. Like, so many people just laugh at her. Yeah, because it, it really something that no one's really to me been talking about as much that this really plays up almost probably unintentionally. I don't, probably wasn't really Edgar Wright's intention. It could have been I don't know, but it really plays up the idea of like city versus country, like how especially city people view country people. Like, oh, you're brand new to the city, you're from a town no one knows of, and you're coming off these wild claims. You must be crazy. This is London. Fuck off, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah i think i think you're right his he he always manages to throw a lot of really interesting themes into his work you know like Shaun of the dead the idea that we're all just zombies already you know waiting for the end hot fuzz you know that hot fuzz dealt very much with city versus country uh yeah. so he's already you know he's got precedent talking about this shit in the past and then the world's end is a great look into you know how great were the glory days? Actually, that comes up in this movie too. That's hmm. yeah, nostalgia. Yeah, interesting. I wonder if you know Edgar Wright clearly has themes he likes visiting. And the music in this movie, he was very big into music with Scott Perman versus the Ward and Baby Driver. Boom. <laughs> I his soundtracks are fucking great. The way he, the music he picked for this movie was awesome. Just you know the record, the record player and. Everyone kind of being like, oh, you like that stuff? And all the older people being like, oh, I remember that. <laughs> Just, oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I like how uh, when she's talking to her landlady that, you know, is Sandy, and she's like, that's not from your time period. Yeah, but I like it. <laughs> <laughs> that's weird. I've never, you know, I've always kind of had a very broad music taste, and nobody's ever been like, you like music from that long ago? Are you insane? Like, yeah, it's a weird stance to take. Weird hill to die on. 
Luckily, I haven't had that issue either, but that's because I assault people with the music I do listen to a that's lot. And go, oh, thank God you're playing Led Zeppelin. <laughs> <laughs> oh. The cat in Captain Marvel, who's like unassuming on the outside, but inside is a fucking alien monster demon that like swallowed a scroll. <laughs> As you. And that's a compliment. Yeah, that's what I say. Like for me, I'm sure like after like hearing Candle Corpse or Lamb of God or Slipknot, they're just like, what? And the next thing you know, I'm like, let's listen to some ACDC. Let's let's put on some the Who. And they're like, oh thank God. Oh fucking yes. Well, anything else in last night in Soho you want to uh want to spotlight? Uh not off the bat. Um, I just really went in with, like like I said, like this, I'm very, very, very over the happy to say that Edgar Wright's flawless streak, in my opinion, for me, continues. Um, I think, you know, it does make me sad to see, you know, all joking aside with the whole Dune thing and it not, this may not do so well. It does make me sad to see that this is a new mode, but I think it, it will, you know, they talk about all the time. A lot of these guys, when I'm listening to like the podcast with interviews and stuff, it's not necessarily the opening weekend that matters. It's the years. And I do think this will be a film that will stand the test of time, will gain a big following amongst that your right fan base and do fine years down the line. Um, I, you know, I think, like I said, he's already had, he's always had horror tendency and fireworks, but seeing him really strip away. The more comedic stuff, which again I love his comedy, but Seamus Rain goes straight for horror, and you know he just he does it so fucking well in this movie, and just makes such a mesmerizing movie. And yeah, I I could go on about this one all day. I this one right now is sitting at a very high eight, close to a nine. I I really walked away impressed with this movie. That's awesome. I'm glad you I'm glad you enjoyed it. I I give this an eight as well. Uh. Yeah, Wright is a director I've always enjoyed and always look forward to seeing what he's going to do next. Uh, I often think about the Ant-Man movie that never was, you know? He talked about that on uh, the podcast also, actually. He gave a little insight. Luckily, in case anyone was wondering, the door is still open for him to work with Marvel. He did not leave on bad terms. When he was developing the film, it was well before the MCU was started, so it was very much his version of an Ant-Man film. And then as MCU became a thing and it became more established and he was having talks with Faye, he was like, hey, he told Faye, he's like, hey, look, what I want to do in Amen does not fit with what you guys are doing with MCU. And Faye was like, hey, we get it. It's fine. The door's open for you to come back. Well, so it, he did not make comment. It was not on bad terms at all. It was legit in this case. There's just kind of creative difference in how it would be approached. So, I would love for Edgar Wright to get involved in the X Men. Ooh, that'd be good. Yeah, that would be fun. Um, well, thanks for listening, everybody. If you like what we do, feel free to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Filmgasm Productions. If you want to suggest films for us to check out, you can email us filmgasm at gmail.com. Send us a message through the socials if you want. And if you want to support the show with Anchor, you can click on support this podcast on your preferred podcast provider. Any and all donations are appreciated, but not required. If you just love listening to a free show, we appreciate you making it this far. Next week is fully loaded. Once again, we get to discuss the MCU with Chloe Zhao's Eternals. 
which is getting pretty mixed reviews. I still want to see it and judge it for myself. Uh, I don't know about you, probably the same way. No, I mean, look, it's an MCU movie, and I'm I'm still going to watch it. And like I said at the beginning, I can I've seen films that get bad reviews that I'm excited for. I'm like, okay, well, they're not liking it, I'm still going to watch it. Sometimes I agree with those reviews. I walk out going, yep, they're right. But other times I'm like, I don't know why people hate this movie so much. Halloween Kills, 39%. We both loved it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, also, the critically acclaimed Princess Diana biopic Spencer and James Samuel's, uh, Samuel's Western, The Harder They Fall. We also get these two films, so tune in next week to hear our thoughts on some more new releases. Uh, Harder They Fall will be on Netflix. Spencer and Eternals will be in theaters. Uh, I'm looking forward to Spencer. I know a lot of people are like, Kristen Stewart is Princess Diana. What the fuck? I think she shows promise in the trailer. She looked like she really captured Diana and I'm hearing nothing but praise for her performance. So I'm on board. I know you're probably going to avoid this with a 10 foot pole. Yes, but not because of Kristen Stewart, just because it's not good to me. Yeah, Um, I will will say this. I will defend both her and Pattinson and to all the people that keep saying it because of Twilight, shut the fuck up. They're actors. Okay. They play different parts. People grow. People grow. Both Christian Stewart and Mark Patterson are actually really good actors. So stop bitching. Stop complaining that Patterson's fucking Batman because I bet you he's going to blow your fucking asses out of the water. Stop bitching that, you know, Christian Stewart's playing Spencer because apparently she's really awesome in the movie based off the reviews for it. So just get over it. Like they're great actors and I, I do hope the best for them. Yes. And the harder they fall looks fucking awesome. So I'm going to, even though it's Netflix, I'm going to, I'm going to go into this one with high expectations because it looks cool. Don't Uh, go on there with high expectations. Go on there with, okay, let's give this one a shot. (laughs) All right. fine. Also don't miss the descent on Wednesday's filmgasm podcast and a best picture showdown on last year's winner. Nomadland on Oscar Sunday. Have a great week and keep watching movies.